All right, well, first off, um, we are going to send kids down with, uh, let's see, Destiny and Jack, and we actually have the speaker if you guys want that. So in case you don't know, if, ever, if anyone else wants to go, I mean, with kids and hang out, they, they rock out to some music. Uh, the other day, they were rocking out here. Bring that for Miss Destiny. The other day, they were rocking out to One Way Jesus. Does anyone remember that song? The da-da-da, One Way. No one? Okay. Yeah, thank you. All right, good. Some of you. So anyway, so they're, they're rocking out to One Way Jesus, and they're all dancing around uh, in the parking lot. So if you're wondering uh, where your kids are going and what they're doing, that's one of the things they're doing. They're also hearing uh, the Bible stories told to them, a lot of times simple main points that they get to repeat and that they can remember. Uh, but one of the things is that children's songs... Uh, are things that are being taught to them, which are really important. I mean, I remember as a kid, you know, you'd have the, uh, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. You know, you have that, uh, then you hide it under a bushel, no, and then uh, won't let Satan it out. And that was always the best part, right? You could hold it up like a little gun, maybe not nowadays, politically incorrect, but uh, I would do that as a kid, I remember. Uh, and then there was the, a song that was based off of John 14, 6, and it was, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And I just remember that. So whenever I would preach, especially for students, it's like, that's the main, I mean, that's the main point, is that whenever Jesus uh, stands up and he says something, he's not saying it as, hey, I'm a good moral teacher. He's not saying it as, hey, I'm a rebellion leader. He's not saying it as, I'm going to be like this ultimate earthly king. He's not saying it in those ways. He's not saying it just to be another prophet. He's not saying it just so that people will tweet him. You know, he's saying it because he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. Which means everything that Jesus says is the way it's supposed to be done. It is the only truth that there is, and it means that it is the only way to find life. Um, Jesus makes that one statement and I've had more conversations with students, especially in middle school and high school, that have all this confusing junk around them um, that I've been able to have the conversation of, well, if Jesus is just a teacher, then why would he say this? Or if Jesus falls into just another category of prophet or historian or whatever, scholarly mind, then why does Jesus make this statement about truth? Why is it that Jesus' statement about He is truth, why does that then all of a sudden Jesus is saying, so if anyone contradicts me, then that means that's not truth. Why does Jesus have to make that statement um, and then based off of what you're bringing me from you know, your friends or your teachers or this worldview, that kind of gets you into a position where you have to make a decision about who Jesus says He is. Either He is who He says He is or He's not. And just the same conversation that I can have with middle schoolers and high schoolers is the same conversation that we literally can have right here today. And we're going to. Um, the very thing that I'm going to be preaching about is, uh, oh, got to go down. I'm messing up my own PowerPoint. The thing I'm going to be preaching out is that this is the best news you're going to hear today. Okay, so if you don't, and the, the reason why I wrote it like that. Like, it's not this morning, I can't say this morning, because uh, the reality is, is that we are online, okay? We, we are in a place where the world operates online. In case you didn't notice, during the coronavirus especially, businesses shut down, but the ones that had an active working online marketplace did really, really well. 
the ones that could respond and send money or send goods right away, did really, really well. If you are online right now, you are in a marketplace, you're in a place where you're able to, quote, compete in the the area of marketing. If you have a phone and you have the ability to FaceTime and you have kids, it blows their mind that they can hang out with their friends. When Keone was in quarantine and he wasn't allowed to go to the park and we pulled up FaceTime for the first time with Christy and Abby and Mariah and Jacob, all of a sudden Keone's like, my friends, I see them. And it's like, yeah, but you don't. You don't get to play with them. But for him, it was fulfilling this need. Just being online right now is fulfilling a need for a lot of people. And so literally right now, anything we post online can be accessed. And so when you say anything, whether it be a comment or a tweet or a post or you share that picture or you share that story, even though they, quote, delete in 24 hours, but you share that thing. We share uh, Facebook Live and we go and we preach a sermon with Driftwood. Everything is put online and it can be accessed, which means that tomorrow, when I say today, it can still be that day that they're accessing it. And it holds true. It can be something that can hold true no matter when it's accessed. And there's something that is held true in the Bible no matter what, and that is the gospel. It is going to hold true for every life. It doesn't change in the way that it is, quote, received and the way that it is processed and the way that somebody responds to it. There are different methods that we have the ability now to give it. One of the ways is going to be online, but also it is in person, whether it's through a mask or not. Some people choose to do it through a t-shirt. Other people choose to do it uh, through letters, writing letters to one another, mail. But the gospel is still something that exists and is there. And so I'm telling you that I'm going to share the gospel, but it's the best news that you're going to hear today. And in the place that we're at right now, I don't want you to forget that. Because I had the news up yesterday. I literally, I found myself caught in that trap. Raise your hand if you got caught in this trap. You'll know right right when you get there. You go one place. I mean, Facebook, ABC.com, CNN.com, or just on the, on the news, on, you turn on the television, you have either that HD antenna, because you can't pay for cable, like I don't, uh, and so the only real access is maybe like ABC Family or CNN or whatever comes up. You have your news station, and you just, you just turn it on because you wanted to catch the weather. And then all of a sudden that next story headline pops up at the bottom and you're just like, oh, that's kind of interesting. I think I'm going to wait and watch that one. And after the series of commercials, you finally get to it. You are willing to devote the time to wait for that story to pop up. And before you know it, it's an hour later, dinner's not cooked yet, and -and so-and-so showed up home or your kids are coming in complaining, I'm hungry. And all of a sudden you find out that you've wasted away time watching all of these stories, and you just are in a worse state than you were before. You were looking for maybe some some comfort, but you didn't find it. And I I just want to say that's a reality for a lot of people. It's not just you, um, so don't worry. It's not just you. But at the same time, if you have hope in Jesus Christ and you're still worrying about what you see on TV, imagine what it's like for those that don't have hope in Jesus Christ and what they're seeing whenever they pull up the news. And so the reality is is that this is the best news you're going to hear today. doesn't matter when you pull it up, whether right now or later in the future, this is the best news you're going to hear today. And it's also going to be, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, it's the best news you have to share today. And we're going to get to that as well uh, near the end. So here's the first part of this good news. 
It's that God created you and he knows you. And some of you are going to say, well, that's kind of scary that God created me and he knows me. He actually knows you very intimately, but God created you and he knows you. He knows who you are. Parts of the Bible say he knows that how many hairs are on your head. Others of you have heard the joke that others don't have hair and God knows about that as well, but he knows how, no, he knows how many you used to have. He knows your feelings. He knows your emotions. He knows what's unique about you that makes you different than that other person. He knows that whenever you're in the middle of the fight, he knows what's really wrong. And it's the envy of all of us men, especially, to know what's really at the heart of the matter. What's really wrong? We can never seem to figure it out. And for you ladies, he knows what we're not saying. And so all of a sudden, it's like, I'm being quiet. And Ashley's like, tell me what's wrong. And I'm thinking, if I told you, you wouldn't like it anyway. So why, why bother? But God knows. He knows that stuff about us. And so let's, let's look and see why he knows that. Because he created us. Genesis chapter 1. And we're going to be in a lot of scripture today. But I'm telling you, it's pretty awesome. Everywhere you cut the Bible, it bleeds. So if you can believe it or not, I, I went to like go make this sermon like, you know, God, give me some really awesome, like, show me where in the Bible I can find your gospel. That was a bad, that was wrong thing to say to him because everywhere, it doesn't matter where I opened it, it was going to be there. You can find it. You can find who he is and what he has to say about himself and his character. So God shows us his character here. Genesis 1 verses 1 through 3. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, when there was absolutely nothing, God creates this. Check this out. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. I want you to imagine when it says face of the deep, just imagine like the chaos of water. Imagine a hurricane with just the sloshing around of water going on. Or if you ever had that one kid in the bathtub that just went nuts so cuckoo and the water splashed everywhere, right? That's what we're talking about. It's just crazy waters everywhere, chaos, and it says God is hovering over the face of the deep. You imagine that in chaos as a ship, if the waves are tossing and turning you and you know that you're in this fathom deep water, you can't even begin to imagine what's below you. It's just so deep. If you all of a sudden topple over and go down, that's a scary place to be. And when, so when it says over the face of the deep, that's what he's saying. He's like, I just, I'm hovering over that, that chaos. And it says, and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, just, just hovering over it. I get the picture of Jesus when he walked on water in the middle of the storm and the disciples see him and think it's a ghost, just hovering over the face of the water. And God said in this chaos, he just says it, let there be light. And there was light. Just like that. There's no question about how light came into being. And then further from that, we continue through Genesis and we see the creation of the world. We see light get separated from darkness. And God calls the light day and the darkness he calls night. We see that he continues to separate the waters from the land. And, and literally he says to the oceans, okay, this is as far as you get to go. Uh, and then I'm going to start this next body of water over here. And then he raises up mountains. He creates these ravines. He creates both the valley and the mountains which is a good reminder because when the psalmist talks about being in the mountain or being in the valley, God's the creator of both of those. And so he's always there, but that's not where we're at right now. Right now we're at the fact that God is the creator. Specifically, God's the creator and he knows all about us because check this out, the Lord God formed. We saw that word form just a moment ago. Okay, it, the, the earth was without form. 
And we see God form the earth. And then all of a sudden in Genesis 2 verse 7, it says the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Quite literally, he's the one that gave you your soul. That breath of life is the soul of man. It's that stuff that we would say is uh, that lifeblood, that, that thing that we can't really explain, but we're just kind of, we're here, and, and we think about other people, and we have these emotions, and you drive down the road, and you think, oh, I wonder if that person's feeling the same way I am today. And then you think, well, that's a weird thought to have, you know, like, how could, what, I, I, have, I have these connections with these other people, and, and there's like, there's just this strange life. I don't look at my dog, I don't look at Eddie's dog and think, oh man, you're just a, a dog of all emotions, and you and I relate on the same level, except yesterday, she pulled one of those weird stunts where I looked at her eyes and she looked at mine and she went and she was like pet me and I was like okay and I don't know how that all of a sudden I'm trained to pet the dog uh, in just a couple days of dog sitting but I was so I pet Leah but but either way I, I see other people and like we have a connection and it's really strange and that connection is that God has breathed life into us okay he's taking care to form us and we can relate on that level and it says and man became a living creature Okay, man became living. We actually have the ability to walk around. And then we find out later on throughout Genesis 2 that man is given special jobs. He's given this special thing to work, which is the, the Garden of Eden. He's to take care of animals. He's to take care of the plants. He's allowed to eat of anything in the garden except from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then in that, God says, wow, this man, he's alone and I need to find a really good helper for him. And he creates woman and he pulls from the, the rib of Adam. He pulls this, he pulls a rib out and he forms woman out of man. And we just kind of see that this massively awesome helper comes alongside and is able to help man because God knows that at the heart of Adam, this man that he's created from the dust of the ground, that he needs a helper. He needs someone alongside him. He needs a relationship and he's able to provide that. He knows his deepest need. In Isaiah 45.12, again, I made, God talking, I made the earth and created man on it. It was my hands that stretched out the heavens. I commanded their host. Psalm 19.1, this is my favorite psalm specifically because it starts off this way, but the heavens declare the glory of God. Right now, it's a little hard to look up and see the heavens declaring the glory of God thanks to that Sahara dust, uh, but just a map, it's Sahara dust. I mean, when's the last time you took a boat ride across the Atlantic to go to Sahara Desert? I mean, that stuff just travel. Who knows how many miles? I don't pay attention to that. But it's our pilots were flying into Haiti on Tuesday uh, with missionary flights. And they're flying into Haiti on a DC-3. And they're going to land. And all of a sudden, they realize that at 8,000 feet, they can't see anything. Normally, they can see like the mountain range that they have to pass by to land in Capetian, Haiti. Normally, they can see the water. Normally, they can see this other kind of ravine to the right. But all of a sudden, they can't see anything. And they, all they've got is their computer system that they now have to trust because they're flying through Sahara Desert sand. They're in a sandstorm at 8,000 feet. How cool is that? Right? They didn't think it was too cool because they had three miles visibility, but once they saw the runway, it was a cool story to tell. But the heavens declare, gosh, the, the Sahara Desert declares the glory of God. Who would have ever thought that you could have a sandstorm travel all the way from the Sahara to Florida? The sky above proclaims his handiwork. <clears throat> and then in Romans 
20, or Romans 1, verse 20 through 23. For since the creation of the world, Paul pulls us in, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so they are without excuse. And they is talking about uh, those wicked people that choose, even though they see these things going on, they see the stars, they see the moon, they see the sun, they see how the sun continues to rise, they see how the water literally is stopped, they see how the tides work, they see how they can't control any of that, okay? There's nothing that can be done to control that. They see these, and then all of a sudden, uh, Paul says, hey, listen, because there's the inability to control this stuff, there has to be someone in control. That only makes sense. Right, And so there has to be someone in in control. So those that would choose to refuse that God exists, they're without excuse. But then, check this out, even if they do want to admit there's a God, see how this plays out in verse 21 and then in 22. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. So they noticed that there should be a Creator or something, And they professed to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. And we can see that just by studying history books. There's so many gods that exist out there. This is the glory of God being corrupted into an image of man. Tell me we don't see these gods that exist. Birds, four-footed animals, and creeping things. Those gods have existed ever since, I mean, the Israelites even adopt these gods. The Israelites, when at Mount Sinai, Moses goes up, remember, Ten Commandments, he goes to get them from God, and on his way down, the Israelites in the meantime have decided to create and worship a golden calf. That's just how man operates. They know God exists. I mean, the Israelites literally had just gone through not only being freed from Egypt with the plagues, not only going through a Red Sea that had been parted, and not only seeing then the Egyptian army washed away, following a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, which was God's Spirit leading them through the desert to where they needed to go. They had done that. Why wouldn't they make at least a pillar of fire? And just to call that God. They couldn't even do that. No, they, they choose a cow. They choose a calf and they make it gold and they say, this is our God. Let's worship it. it. Makes no sense. And yet we fall into that same trap is what Paul is getting at. He says, if we're not careful, this is a choice that is made. We choose to worship something other than God because for us, it's something that we can control. And we like that control. <clears throat> this is the best news you're going to hear today, though. Promise. God is a righteous judge that wants you to turn back to him. God is a righteous judge that wants you to turn back to him. That word righteous judge is really important because a lot of us, when we think of God, we think judge and we just leave it at that. And we think of judge in our courtroom. That would be an idol, by the way. Don't consider God to be just like any judge that we would have in our courtroom. He's not a judge at the Supreme Court. He's not a judge at the Civil Court. He's not a judge that's gone through school and he's got his judge license and he's beginning, he's a lawyer of some sort. He's, he's not just a judge. He's a righteous judge, which means that when he makes a decision, it is for good good things, which means he gives us rewards. He gives us uh, the reward of punishment. He gives us also uh, the things that we don't deserve because he knows as judge what we even do and don't deserve. So he can choose within that. And when he makes a promise, he actually sticks with it and fulfills it. So as a judge, his verdict, whatever his verdict is, that is carried out. That's the sentence. 
So he has a righteous judge. There is nothing that is wrong with his judgment. And this is where we're going to get in with that. This is important. Don't miss this. This is the most important part of the gospel. God's a righteous judge. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. This is Psalm 7. We're going to do 11 and 12. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day, which means extreme anger every day. Okay, so we see that, right, when we think about God as judge. Oh, God is a judge. He's going to hit me with a lightning bolt. He's angry at me. Yes. <laughs> Don't miss that. He is. He feels anger every day. But we're going to find out why he feels angry, anger every day. If a man does not repent, and then it's going to continue on with a bunch of other pronounced uh, things that will happen. But the most important, if a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He is bent uh, he has bent and readied his bow. Repent is simply turning around. It's me knowing that I have a face-to-face relationship with God or I know where God is at and I, I specifically choose. I'm walking in the wrong direction and God says repent, which means just simply turn and go back to him. Okay? He says that it is extremely important for us to repent because if we don't, there's already this judgment that is waiting for us. We're going to hit that again as we go through. Genesis 6 5 and 7. You guys will know this story leading up to Noah. Okay? The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Wickedness of man, and that word evil, same word in the Hebrew. Just want to give you that. Okay? Uh, and then that word, and that every intention, that word every, and evil continually, every and continually, same Hebrew word. So, what is he saying? He says that the Lord saw, we could read it like this, the Lord saw that the evil of man, okay, man's evil desires, his evil passions, was great on the earth, in the earth, and that every or that the continual intention of his thought, that thought in his heart, that seed of emotion, that deep inner being, not what he necessarily displays on the outside for other people to see, but what's going on really deep within, the thought of the heart is evil continually. That's what he's saying, is that God is a righteous judge because it doesn't matter what we're displaying on the outside. God sees what's actually wrong on the inside. And it says that the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. The Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. And it seems like God's given up at that statement. If we read it wrong, it seems like God's given up. But let me, let me, let's think about this like for a moment about how God feels. God created us, so he loves us. If we read the very beginning of Genesis, we know he created us. He put us in a garden, and then uh, mankind, Adam and Eve, sinned. They chose that they wanted to be like God, uh, and so they sinned. They made that choice, and then all of a sudden, God had to kick them out. And when it says that God kicked them out of the garden, it's literally like driving out cattle. I mean, he rushed them out of the garden because uh, he didn't want them to eat from the tree of life. And then he continues to let man live, and he, we know that man's given a choice. We can choose to honor God. We can choose to follow God, but we have a problem, and that problem is sin. And so God looks on the problem of sin, and he says, man is not going to beat this on his own. There's no way that, my, that everybody living on the earth right now, there is no way they're going to beat this on their own. I can, I, I don't, I, there's no way. They're not going to make it. I know when the Messiah is coming. I know what I'm going to do with Jesus, but they're going to kill each other before that point. I, I don't, this, this right now, this is way, this is terrible. I'm going to, I got to take care of this. 
for the, for the good of everybody in the future. I got, I got to wipe them out. That's, his decision is that as a righteous judge. And he's going to follow through with it. Because his promises that he makes, he keeps. And there's nothing, no, no, no extra sacrifice, no, no extra money that's thrown his way, no extra cow that's sacrificed, no, nothing like that. God, God sees the intent of every evil heart that's right now on the earth, and he actually has to make the choice at that moment as God. The righteous, judgmental choice is that he has to wipe out the earth of mankind that he loves and that he knows salvation is coming for. Would you make that decision? Would you pull the plug? Would you, would you pull the trigger? Would you really? This God's decision. The man that he loves, that he knows, he's, he knows salvation is coming. And he's going to prove that salvation is coming. But again, I like to leave you guys in suspense if you don't know the story. So God said, I will blot out man whom I've created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I've made him. God's at a point where he's in deep distress because he knows he has to make this choice. This is his, he has to, it's his verdict. He has to do it. There's literally no other way. How terrible of a place it must have been to live on the earth. This is the best news you're going to hear today, though. You don't feel like it right now, but it is, I promise. Okay? Mercy and grace are the characteristics of God. Because God has it in his nature to be merciful and gracious, he is going to be merciful and gracious even in those moments. In Joel chapter 2, verse 13, this is going to maybe sound um, somewhat familiar, but it says, Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. If, if there's even the glimmer of hope, God's taken it. If there's even another option, God's taking it because he loves us. If, if he can do anything in that moment to save even one person, God's going to do that thing to save that one person. God knows our hearts. He knows that we might not turn to him. He knows that we're going to make the choice. He knows what that choice is going to be. But he also knows that he can look throughout the entire earth. He can find one person and he can say, okay, I'm, you know what? One person, you're it. I'm showing you grace. I'm showing you mercy. I'm not going to kill you and your family. And it says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. When looking throughout the entire earth, deciding that he's going to He's going to end up flooding the entire earth. He's going to start over. He's going to wipe out man because they're so evil. And it's breaking his heart so much that I can just imagine God in heaven, if we had to give him tears for weeping, he's weeping because he has to make this decision because he is the righteous judge. And he says, then the Bible immediately says after that, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Because God is gracious. He shows grace. It's favor. It's unmerited favor. As far as we know, Noah didn't specifically do anything that deserved God's favor. Other places we find that Noah was a righteous man, but we know that Noah is righteous because ultimately his action is a righteous action. He builds the ark. 
And he builds the ark, and he and his family are saved. We know that if you've read the story and you've seen Noah's ark, you know that animals come, and they flood into that ark. And then that ark goes 40 days while the earth is completely covered in water uh, with rain, and then it continues on. And finally, that rain subsides, and the ark comes to rest, and Noah and his family come out. And then Noah immediately goes off, and he gets drunk. So, you know, that's just kind of Noah's life. Uh, and we know that Noah was a righteous man. He made a lot of good decisions, but he also made bad decisions. So Noah wasn't perfect. All right, no one in the Bible that we find besides Jesus is perfect. And that's one of the important things. A lot of the heroes of the faith that we read about in Hebrews 11, they're not perfect. That's important. There's only one person that's perfect, and that's Jesus. So, again, we're, God created us. He knows us. Okay, God's a righteous judge. He's always going to make the right decision. But God is a righteous judge. He makes those, the hardest decisions that there are that we find in the Bible. Okay, but he's in that being a righteous judge. His character is to show mercy and grace. And from the very beginning, he chose uh, how he was going to do that. God has given us salvation. He's given you salvation through Jesus Christ. Okay, God has given you salvation through Jesus Christ. I shared that I was going to tell you guys about what happened Wednesday. Okay, so what happened Wednesday is that uh, just like any other Wednesday with middle school boys in my group, I have a bunch of middle school boys that show up. Now, what's a little different about this specific Wednesday, which was this last Wednesday, is that the middle school boys showed up, but there were nine of them. Now, normally I'm used to five. Okay, one friend showed up. And then three boys that used to be in the neighborhood had moved off. And then for whatever reason, that this was the week that God had brought them back. So they were hanging out with us and God had brought them back to, to be a part of it. And they were sitting down. And uh, we try our very best to read through one chapter of the Bible. Nate knows. Okay, it's a very best effort. Dustin saw it too. Very best effort to read through one chapter. That's it. Sometimes the chapter is like a couple verses. Sometimes it's like 50. But we do our very best. We're like, okay, I'm like, guys, we read through this chapter. I promise you, we can have a snack. You can go outside. We can be done. Just let's read through the Bible. Like, that's it. I just want you to read it. Because I know you're not reading it anywhere else. So we're just going to read the Bible. Like, we're going to stick with this. We're going to do our very best. And for two years, we've been reading the Bible. Every single week, we read one chapter. We used to read less, but then I decided they'd grown enough and they could handle a whole chapter. So we read one chapter. About two years ago, we memorized John 3, 16, 17, and 18 with a couple of the boys. And I didn't know it, but I found out in a couple of weeks leading up to this that a couple of their boys had actually, over time, they've given their life to Jesus. And, I mean, you know, they just have said, and they've told me how, and they told me why, and they told me how their life is different, and they told me that they believe it, and they told me they're doing their best to seek after it, and then I think, well, you just have a brain of a middle schooler, so I'm just going to, we're going to see what happens in high school. I'm, I'm holding on for some hope there, you know? Uh, we're going to have some clarity at some point, maybe 22, 23, uh, but something's going to happen. And, and so these middle school boys, though, are, are in the house. And uh, if you're part of Wednesday night, Bible study for adults, uh, you know that you go into Terry and Fernanda's house, they sit around uh, on the couches, and then uh, now I set this device to where people online can feel like they're part of the group. Uh, so I had to do that on Wednesday, and I was caught up in that, and when I walked into my house, there are nine middle school boys sitting on couches in my living room. Luckily, Nate was there. I don't know what would have happened. Don't know what it'll look like, but they were there, and Nate was there, and he was taking care of business, uh, and they were just all kind of being rowdy. I heard them before I got in. Uh, I walk in, and we start reading through the Bible. 
And that is, I mean, talk about like the little engine that could. I mean, we're just like, oh, come on, let's go, come on. And then all of a sudden there's like the kid, you know, the kid, there's always that one kid. You might have the kid in your family or the family that comes over, the kid that comes over to your house and you're like, just get out. Um, there's that one kid and that one kid was doing what that one kid normally does. He, does. he was causing the disturbance. It starts with, uh, you know, it might start with, uh, depending on what age we're talking about, it might start with the fart noises uh, or, 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 you know, uh, if the, the most popular one among middle school boys right now, for whatever reason, as uh, they're pulling in Michael Scott from the office, it's that's what she said, okay, so uh, that happens the whole time, from the moment I walk in the door, it just happens, and I've tried, I promise, I, I pray to God about it, and some of you, like, righteous people, righteous men, you're like, you need to treat them like men, kick them in the pants, and I'm like, I've prayed, I promise, like, I've gotten, like, this close, like, I've raised my voice some, and, and I've been like, okay, I'm just gonna kick him out, like, right now, and it'd be a perfect time, but I I, I say, God, do you want me to do that? He's like, no. I'm like, oh, every time, every time. And I've, I've tried, I've gotten close. I've tried to ignore God and he doesn't let me. So he let, literally doesn't let me speak. Or the kid all of a sudden starts acting good. Like just immediately, like I'm like, oh, God, I'm ignoring you. I go to speak and he's all of a sudden, he's quiet, hands folded, he's listening. And he's telling everyone else to listen, whatever that's about, right? So, uh, so anyway, so this kid, he's, he's doing everything though tonight. He's laying on the floor convulsing like he's demon possessed at one point. And it's just because he felt like it, all right? So, and I go over and I, I do the thing, like teachers, you'll appreciate it. I stand in between him and the other boy that are kind of like feeding off each other. And I stand and that doesn't matter uh, because they can see past me and I'm, I'm apparently invisible. And so, uh, so I start praying and I'm like, God, you know what I'm asking right now. Uh, can I kick him out? Uh, can I tell them to leave? Can I do anything right now? God, he says, no, it's like, okay, uh, God, you're going to have to prove to me that you're here tonight, because if you don't prove to me you're here tonight, I might lose it. Right. I might, I might, I don't know. And we go continue through the whole chapter. We fight through the whole thing. Uh, literally every verse is the same kind of concept. And at the very end, I'm like, all right, well, let's go. Uh, time to go. I'm ready to get out of here because I'm about to be driven nuts. So let's pray and let's wrap this up and we'll go play outside. No inside anything today. Outside, outside. And uh, the kid goes, wait, um, this kid over here, he was talking to us at the beach and he wants to know how to give his life to Jesus. The kid that was literally the whole time just causing disturbance. Like I thought, I mean, he's the one that's told me he's saved. So I question it every time he says anything. And, and he says, wait, he was talking to us about being, and I was like, what do you mean he was talking to you about giving his life to Jesus? And he's like, he, was, he wants to know. And I was like, why didn't you tell him? You gave your life to Jesus. Why don't you tell him? Well, we told him that you would tell him. I'm like, no, that's not how this is supposed to work. You guys missed out on a really cool story. So first we have to address that problem, right? It's like, hey, if, if, if you've given your life to Jesus, you can share with somebody how to give their life to Jesus. It's the best news they'll hear all day. So uh, I need you to, to, to tell this kid how he can give his life to Jesus. And, and, he, and the guy like looks at me like blank face. We're back at what we were before, you know. Bleh. So I'm just like, okay. Um, so I, I look at this kid and I say, uh, hey, do you want to give your life to Jesus? And this is how you know that a kid, like the only reason I knew that, that he really wanted to is because he talked to his friends about it. You don't just, in middle school, you don't just talk to that about your friend, like that, you get made fun of, right, for stuff like that, you're afraid, so it came up, and, and then they remembered, but, but he, I looked at him and said, you want to give your life to Jesus, he said, eh, I don't know, maybe, I said, no, you don't, you don't want to give your life to Jesus, then that's not, that's not the right response, so uh, I, I looked at Greer, I was like, Greer, why in the moment when he asked you 
I used his name, dang it. Uh, but anyways, I said, why in the moment when this kid asked you uh, if you, if you, if you, you know, that, how do I give my life to Jesus? Why didn't in that moment, why didn't you share with him how to give his life to Jesus? I said, literally, it's like the wind. And with you middle school boys, it's like a freaking tornado, all right? I mean, it's just gone. And so if he asked you in that moment, why didn't you tell him how to give his life to Jesus? And he was like, I, I just don't I, don't, I don't know what I was supposed to tell him. I said, well, how did you give your life to Jesus? How did you know? And he said, well, we've been studying the Bible, and I, I believe everything about Jesus that we're reading. I mean, it, it has to be true. I said, it makes total sense. I see his life. I see what he does. I see who he is. I see the character of him, you know. I'm using bigger words than he did, but this is essentially what he said. And so I'm like, I'm like okay. And I said, but, but why did you feel like you needed to give your life to Jesus? He said, because I was living in hell. And I was like, yeah, we all are. I mean, it's not just in the world now, like individually in our soul, without Jesus, without the light of God in it, we're living in hell. And he talked about some stuff whenever I'd gotten to meet with him a little bit privately, me and Nate, and Nate knows because he told us, but I mean, the kid like describes some stuff that you're like, yeah, like that's hard stuff for a middle schooler. And I remember in middle school feeling the same stuff you did. So I remember when I gave my life to Jesus and that stuff changed. Yeah. You're in middle school, especially like right now, like what do you believe? You're living in hell, but... We all are, if without Jesus, especially in our life. And so, so I'm like, okay, so, so you, were, you were living in hell. You knew that you had to give your life to Jesus. You believed everything that you had to, to do. And then, and then what was that last part that you had to do? Because that's important. Because just, just believing, eh, just, I mean, admitting that you're a sinner, like that's really good. That's where you got to be. You got to believe that you're, that you're destined for hell. But, but what's the, the other part that you did? He's like, I asked Jesus to save me of my sin. Like, yeah, you had to ask him. So I looked over at the kid that was on the fence, right? Because I was like, I'm not letting this one go. You know, like this is, he was there. He was thinking this like an hour ago at the beach. It doesn't matter how long we've been going through and how many little Debbies or how much pizza this kid has consumed within the last hour. He's still thinking it. And I know he is. I can feel it. It's going on. And I looked at him and I said, hey, um, do you believe everything that we've been talking about with Jesus? He said, yeah. I said, do you feel like you're living in hell? He said, yeah. I said, do you want to give your life to Jesus? And then because we're in a group of middle school boys, what do you think happened at that exact moment that we had that? He was there. I was like, okay, he's going to do something. What do you think happened? Guess. Anybody. No, no, close. It was a close to a fart. So, some kid just comes out with something. I mean, it, I don't even know what it was at this point. I think he just went, like just, he just, just a noise came out of his mouth. I don't know what it was. It didn't matter at the time. And I got super mad, right? At that point, JJ like was about to do all the, the mountain hellfire preaching. Uh, I was mad. I was like, okay, God, I don't care what you've done and held me back from before. I'm not going to be held back right now. So I held up my phone because the Holy Spirit gave it to me to hold up my phone. And I, and I was so close. I was so mad. I was like God whenever he was looking at the people in, in Noah's day. And he was just like to the point where I got to do something. I feel like a flood would be very appropriate right now. But God promised not to do that anymore. And hellfire and brimstone, and if they actually fell, 
well, then I might lose Canon. So I love Canon too much. Don't want you to do that, God. No, no consuming the house with fire. So I just grabbed the closest thing and I said, guys, I'm so close to smashing my phone on the ground. I said, because I know how much you love the phone, right? And if I smash my phone, you'll get what I'm trying to say, but I'm not going to do it because I don't have money to replace it, right? So um, I'm not smashing my phone right now, but if I took this and I slammed it on the ground as hard as I could and it just shattered into a billion pieces and I grabbed those pieces and I was like, oh shoot, I didn't mean to do that. And I put it back together. Could I use it? They were like, no. Thankfully, we were at a place of understanding with the middle school boys, all right? No, you could not put your phone back together, JJ. And it's like, correct. I said, but that's our life before we come to God. And if we say, God, my life's in shattered pieces, put it back together, he not only puts it back together, but it instantaneously not only has power, but it works. And I can call. And so when I believe who Jesus says he is, and I admit that I'm a sinner, and then all of a sudden that phone is immediately put back together because there's a call I got to make. And I got to call God right away, and I got to confess that sin, and I got to ask him to save me. He puts that phone together in that moment. You come to God thinking that you're broken, but when you come to God, he says, no, I've put you back together so you can communicate with me. If you feel like you're too broken to come to God right now, that's a lie from the pit of hell. He's put you together right now to make a call to God. So if you feel like you need to give your life to Jesus right now, that's what you need to do because he's put the phone together right now for you to do that, no matter how broken your life is. And so I was talking and I looked at the kid and I said, do you feel like your life's broken? Do you feel like you need to give your life to Jesus? He says, yeah. I said, okay, well, if you want to do that, you got to pray. And by this point, luckily, all the middle school boys, they were finally at the place I've wanted them for two and a half years. They won't be next week, but I'm okay with that right now. So uh, he, he, he starts to pray, and he's like, dear God, thank you for today. Thank you for the Bible study. And I said, and anything else you want to say to God? He's like, I don't know what to say. I said, God knows everything about your heart. He knows it. He knows it what you want to say. He knows what you don't want to say out loud. But he knows it. And all he's asking us to do is that in the middle of our heart, we'll just grab it, rip it out, and say, fine, God, here it is. I'm going to give it to you openly and honestly, because if I don't, then it's going to continue to eat me. And if it's the salvation part, then you're going to continue to live in hell. You've got to open up your life and give it to God in that moment. God, save me for who I am. And so that kid started to pray, and he started to tear up, and you could hear it, that he was starting to do that thing where the the voice quivers and shakes, and then he did the middle school boy thing, (laughs) you know, then he said another word and shakes, (laughs) And he laughed it off again. You know, like he did. I was fine with that. I'm like, whatever. You know, God, you know, you know what's going on in this little little heart right now. Um, and he gives his life to Jesus on Wednesday night. And all the boys are like super pumped at that point. And then we go and we play, and they become middle school boys again. But in a moment, God was able to take what I thought was just like broken beyond belief. I mean, two and a half years, and nobody's given their life to Jesus. We did John 3.16, and we memorized that, and they knew it, and they recited it. This kid still knows at least the John 3.16 part. If I still ask him, before, before Bible study on the island, the kid didn't know about the Bible, anything, any stories at all. 
Didn't know who Jesus was. We started at one point, and I'm like kind of preaching through, and I'm like, okay, this is going to be cool. We're going to talk about some Old Testament people. Didn't know any of those stories, so we've gone back, and we've redone all those stories for those kids that have no clue about the stories of God at all. They've seen who the character of God is, and let, let me tell you right now, like God has given salvation through Jesus Christ, and this kid got it on Wednesday. He knew who Jesus was on Wednesday. He knew who he was before then, but he finally did something about it. Romans 3.23 says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's where we stand before God. We actually fall short. We miss the mark. It's like someone taking an arrow and aiming it, and they think, okay, bullseye, they let go, and it literally just aims, it just hits on that little crease right before bullseye. Well, they didn't hit bullseye. It doesn't matter how close they are. When Keone and I throw darts, he hits the number three a lot of times. I don't know how, but it's a cork board, and he actually hits the three. Okay, it doesn't hit anywhere on the board that counts for anything, but he hits a three and that counts for him. All right. So one time, though, Keone threw it and he hit outer bullseye. That blew my mind. I was like, how? I said, that just proves that it's all luck. You know, <laughs> like there's no way. Uh, but anyway, so but still didn't hit bullseye. And I let him know that. So um, so Isaiah chapter 53, verse five through seven. And Isaiah 53 is the chapter. If you've got to read one that's about like, do you find Jesus mentioned in the Old Testament? Like just like where you can totally see him. Isaiah 53. All right. Isaiah 53, verse five. But he was pierced for our transgressions. This is a prophecy. Old Testament prophecy, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. All of our issues, all of our problems, all of our sin, all the times we miss the mark, all the brokenness, God lays it all on this individual being talked about. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that was led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. We know that Jesus, when he went to the cross, uh, he stands before Pilate. He doesn't open his mouth. We know that his accuser, the people that are accusing him, the guards, they beat him essentially beyond recognition. He was literally crushed. He doesn't, he doesn't open his mouth. Okay, he doesn't, doesn't try to defend himself. Barnabas, uh, or not Barnabas, Barabbas, the evil, uh, evil man who knows how much evil he had been accused of, has put up against Jesus. One last ditch effort of the government to try to cover up this kind of cra- crazy little conspiracy thing. They say, hey, who do you choose to be released to you? This awful prisoner or this man, Jesus, who has like really one accusation. It's not really that big of a deal. And they say, we want Barabbas. He tries to cover it up. Jesus doesn't open his mouth. Wouldn't you try to defend yourself at least? Silent. John three sixteen through 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Jesus didn't come here to condemn. That wasn't his mission. That wasn't his purpose. But that the world through him might be saved. But check this out. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is the word condemned already. So before Jesus got here, you were condemned. Before you heard about Jesus for the first time, you were condemned. Before you're giving your life to Jesus, you're condemned. Okay, it doesn't, you're all in the same playing field. There's people that are in your neighborhood, same playing field. There may be someone in this church, same playing field. We all come to God the same way, condemned already. That's amazing. 
that we come condemned already, and yet Jesus still came to die for the sins of the world. That's why he came. He came to die for the sin, our sin, Okay, he died for it while we were already condemned. You would never go up to a condemned house. Well, now you do because of the crazy people in the world that love to flip them. But you'd never go up to your condemned, a condemned house and you'd say, I'm going to throw everything I got into this money pit and I think it's going to become something. There are people like that. Some of them get really lucky. But most people don't think, oh, I'm gonna just going to throw everything into this condemned house. No, when it's condemned, it's condemned for a reason. It's for nothing better than just be torn down and let's start over. Jesus comes to us, we're condemned already. And it says that we're condemned already because he has not believed, because we have not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. John 3, 36, continue on, we go down, it says, He who believes in the Son, this is Jesus talking, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. God is a righteous judge. That's the truth of it. He is righteous. He does not. He is sorrowful for it. He absolutely hates the fact that in that righteous judgment, you as his beloved creation, made in the image of God, he forms you while you're in your mother's womb. It absolutely tears him apart that he has to pronounce that judgment of sin because sin of in your life. He has to pronounce that judgment and the wrath of God has to abide on you. It absolutely tears him to pieces because he knows that he has sent his son to be the salvation for your sin to be that propitiation, to take on, to be the one that wipes away that sin. It's been done. It's been taken care of. And God stands back and says, please just listen to him. It's standing there and it's ready. And and the reality is that if you're on the fence, then you're really on the wrong side. Okay, Cannon was the boy that gave his life to Jesus. Pray for Cannon. Okay, he was on the fence, but he was still asking the question of, what do I need to do to give my life to Jesus? What do I need to do to be saved? He's on the fence, but he's still on the wrong side because he hadn't given his life to Jesus. Being on the fence isn't good enough. You've got to either choose. Either you give your life to Jesus or you don't. And the best news that you're going to hear today is Romans 10.13. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It equals that. Call on Jesus to save you, you're saved. You believe that Jesus is who he says he is. You confess that sin to him. You say, Jesus, I need you to save me. You, you literally just open up your heart before God. And the reality is, is you're saved. No ifs, ands, or buts. No going back on it. Why? Because God is a righteous judge. And part of his righteous judgment is that when he pronounces that judgment, when he states something, it holds true. He doesn't change his mind. He didn't change his mind when he had to flood the earth with Noah. He doesn't change his mind when he says, if you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. He doesn't change his mind. And so if you feel like you're a broken phone this morning, I'm telling you, you're not. God has the ability to put you back together. You can make that call to him. It doesn't cost you anything except to be able to get on the phone and open up your heart to him. He already knows your heart anyways because he created you. So why don't you do it? This is the best news you're going to hear today. If you're listening online, this is the best news that you're going to hear today. But it's also the best news that you have to share. Don't get caught up in sharing all the other news out there. Statistics, facts, they're great. They can raise emotions. They can cause people to do some crazy stuff. 
But anything that I can talk you out into, God can, or the devil can talk you out of. I kept telling that to the kids. Anything that I could talk you, if I can talk Canon into salvation, then the devil can talk him into it, or can talk him out of it, or his friends can talk him out of it. Anything that you can be talked into, the devil can talk you out of. So if you feel like you are just like at that point where you're saying, God, I know who you are. I know who you are. I've studied who you are. Pastor Eddie's preached who you are. I've been here. I've been listening. If you, you know. The question is, do you believe? If you feel like that you believe, then you also have to, do you believe that you're a sinner that needs salvation? If you believe that you're a sinner that needs salvation, that your life is broken, you need, to, you need God to take care of it, you need God to be the Lord, you need God to lead, then literally all you have to do is confess. Just speak up. Just call upon the name of the Lord for salvation. He's going to save you. That's the best news you're going to hear today. So what are you going to do with it? Let's bow our heads and we'll pray. And um, I'm not someone that does altar calls. Because I believe that the altar is your heart. And that's where real stuff goes on between you and Jesus. And so if you need to give your life to Jesus this morning, do it. I mean, just straight up open it up. If you need to like pray and and kind of mumble a prayer, you can do that because I'm going to talk loud enough in my prayer. I'll make sure to talk extra loud so that no one hears you. Whenever we come up and we play music, if you need to give your life to Jesus and you need to just instead of singing the words, you need to say out loud what's wrong with you to God so he can hear your heart and that he can save you from sin, then do it. So you don't have to come up, but I do encourage you, if you've given your life to Jesus this morning for the first time, you should tell someone about it. Because I promise you, just like a middle school boy, it's the scariest thing to tell someone what's going on in your heart. No middle school boy opens up their heart. But whenever Cannon opened up his heart, there was rejoicing. And for the first time, I mean, he's caught some massive snook, and they make fun of him for it. That's a little snook, Cannon. But whenever he gave his life to Jesus, for just like 30 seconds, there was rejoicing. Then it went back to picking on him. But for 30 seconds, there was, yes, Cannon did it. So you pray with me. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to be able to come here this morning, to be able to read your word. Father, everywhere we look at your word, it bleeds. Everywhere we look at your word, Jesus is there. Everywhere we look at your word, we see you calling us to repentance. Everywhere we look at your word, God, we see who you are, that you're a righteous judge. But God, you're a righteous judge that created us. You're a righteous judge that shows it's in your character to show mercy and grace. Father, if there's just one person here, just one soul, one soul that you breathe life into that needs to give it, that needs to give their life to you, that needs to confess you as Lord and Savior. God, I ask that they do that this morning, that they open up, that they become an open book before you, that they be a fillet, just like a fish, just open, ready to be seen by you. Because God, you welcome them with open arms. You love them. You don't want any of them to perish. Not one of your children do you wish to perish. Father, if there's someone here this morning that needs to give their life to you, I ask that they do it. God, this is the best news I've heard all day. It's the best news I'm going to hear today. When I was studying it yesterday, all the news on the TV, all the news on the computer, the best news that I found was in your word was salvation. Father, help us be mindful of that, that among everything going on, the best news we've got as that salvation is found in you. Father, I pray that you help us be mindful of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.